we are back for the 30th episode of Home Mat Advantage. I am Sam Herring, joined today by Jude Swisher, Mason Beckman, and our man Tony Rotundo. This is a special interview or episode where we have um, all the HMA team minus uh, our fantasy guy Jacob Hoogley on on the call. And uh, I'm really excited for this episode. There's a lot going on right now. And so uh, I'm excited to hear Tony's perspective and Mason's. And so this, this is going to be a fun episode. So Tony, Mason, Jude, how y'all doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty all right, Sam. How are you? I'm pretty good. Um, let, let's start off talking about, like, our last episode was our one-year anniversary. Obviously, um, we're, we're around that area. Of, we're hitting one year. Um, let's, Tony, let's hear a little bit of your backstory of, um, you know, let's start with your wrestling backstory, where, where you started and, and how it's kind of evolved, and then a little bit of, of how you got involved with HMA. Yeah, so... Um... Thanks for having me on, you guys. It was never really my um, goal to be on the podcast by sponsoring you guys, but here we are. Um, crazy times. So thanks for having me on. But um, my backstory, in a nutshell, my dad was a coach. So very typical, you know, like grew up, like, you know, re- you know, wrestling has always been part of my life, um, whether I wanted it to be or not. So um, he was pretty driven and he really kind of started wrestling in our community so you know I was rolling on around on wrestling mats when I was a really young kid um and just looking up to the high school kids thinking they were just like the the greatest thing you know when he he coached a high school team so I was just if you can remember when you're five you just think that like high school kids are just like old and mature and like the coolest thing ever those are my siblings when I was when I was five I had a bunch of older siblings like that yeah yeah I, I remember being like near my dad during like dual meets and stuff like that just being completely in awe and hearing like the strategy with 30 seconds to go you know the kids are like okay I'm gonna hit a switch and I'm just like this is just nuts you know like just being involved with that but um so I started wrestling when I was four or five and um and wrestled through high school obviously um did really well I kind of peaked when I was about 14 um but uh you know I, I did freestyle Greco all of it. Um, I, I, we, we started cutting weight a little too early. Like we were definitely, it was, you know, this is the seventies. So I, I was born in 1967. I'm 53. So I'm a little bit old school. So I was in the era of like heavyweight cutting in high school and stuff. But I, I, so I heard a podcast recently where, where I guess it was Barry Davis, where it was like Gable had him run before the NCAAs and then got him in a hot car. This is a true story. When I was 10 years old going to a kid's tournament, I was in sweats in a hot car as we were driving to the tournament, like cutting weight and stuff like that. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not necessarily proud of that. It's just, it was just what we did at the time. So cutting weight like that just takes its toll mentally. You just start to lose your edge. You just don't want to do it. And particularly if you have a dad who's like, you know, always wanting to talk about it. Like we get home from a tournament and he would want to watch video. Like we had this old video camera that was huge. It came in a case. It had like four pieces to it and he'd want to watch the video. And we just, all we wanted to do was not talk about wrestling. And, you know, also he'd say, Hey, on a Sunday, he'd say, Hey, there's this tournament on Saturday. Why don't you go next Saturday? Why don't you go check your weight? And immediately you just got hungry. You know, you just wanted a sandwich or something. It was, and it's a week before, you know. And so, like, that that mentally just messed with me. And so, um, but I stuck with it. You know, I really 
didn't fully appreciate it until now, but um, I was around it. I've gone to every kind of tournament you can imagine. I competed in a lot of stuff. Um, I did, there was, before the Cadet Worlds, there were these like kind of gatherings, these cadet gatherings. So I was, I competed in Missoula, Montana and trained with the USA team for a week before that and competed. There was only one other competitor, but, um, you know, it was, it was all like a precursor to the Cadet Worlds and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I competed in Greco. Um, but yeah, so I, I've been involved my whole life and it's in my blood. Absolutely. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I wanted to tell you, Sam, because it's funny. I grew up in a small farm, and you you love this book, uh, Carrie Wood, Ch Chop Water, Carrie Wood. No, Chop, Chop Wood, Carrie Water. Yeah, yeah. I love Chop that. Chop Water, Carrie Wood. Chop Water, Carrie Wood. Anyways, um, I grew up in a small farm, and we literally chopped wood every weekend. And my dad was cross training us, but we like we had a wood burning stove, and so like that idea of this hard work was totally ingrained in me. And Skipping it transfers sport. so well into our sport too. Like that that attitude and mentality of just gritty hard work, like chopping wood and carrying water, is it transfers to wrestling so well. It's 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 pretty cool. Absolutely, and it it, it really does carry with you. Like so, recently somebody asked how I could just stay up and process photos and just just churn through photos and get them up quickly and late nights and stuff like that. And I'm like, that is the same equivalent to chopping wood and carrying water. You just there's hard work ahead of you, and you just have to do it. And if you want to be good, if you want to be good, get good and stay good, you just have to do these hard things to, to keep you, you know, at an elevated level. So for my photography, it's like just a lot of hard work. And, you know, so I, the, the wrestling, the growing up on a farm, the chopping wood, the carrying water, the, you know, watering the yeah. animals at yeah, six, yeah. you know, all of that. So, um, so let's, let's talk about that for a little bit. Um, how you got into wrestling photography. Um, ha have you always had a passion for photography or did that just come out of the blue? I, I, you know, in high school, my dad handed me a camera. He, he's a bit of a photographer. Um, he's got some gear. He's taken some nice photos, but he wasn't like uh, going out on the weekends, you know, photographing. He used to carry a camera at wrestling tournaments, but he would rarely take pictures because he was very excitable. And so he would he would have the mm -hmm. camera with him, but he would never really took a lot of pictures. Mm -hmm. um, so I inherited a camera. And so I kind of got into it and I processed photos when I was in high school and in college. Um, but I was never really, really like photography is what I want to do. Um, I was focused on wrestling uh, primarily. And so I... Um, I wrestled through college and then I coached for a couple of years around in upstate New York, kind of with my dad, like a freestyle team and stuff. And then I moved from Buffalo and uh, I had a 10 year gap where I didn't do anything with wrestling. And I honestly think it was the best thing for me. Like I basically put the sport aside and didn't think about it. And this is through the time of like, uh, Dave Schultz and Mark Schultz and all of that stuff. And I would watch the Olympics, but, you know, I just was not involved in the sport. And I actually think it was really good because it rejuvenated me. So what happened was I moved from Washington, D.C. to San Francisco, and I was working in Berkeley, and I would go to the Y, the gym, every day and pass by Berkeley High School. And um, about you know, 10 years later. So this is like 90, 1997 or 98. 
I it was I was like, oh, it's got to be around wrestling season. And I literally just dropped in on the gym at Berkeley High. And the coach was like, if you want to help, you can help. Like, you know, do you, you know, and I, he's like, go officiate this match. Now, I had been away from the sport. I didn't remember the rules. He's like, here's a whistle. Go officiate. Like, just the kids, like a wrestle-off. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. So I wound up getting involved with that team and wound up coaching that team with, um, with my friend Brad for about five years. But mm-hmm. I, you know, I grew up on a pretty big wrestling team. My envision of like my vision of what I wanted to be as a coach and being involved was different than like a very urban, you know, setting where you had six kids and it just wasn't completely fulfilling. I mean, they were good kids, but you're babysitting the kids and there just aren't enough sparring partners. We barely had enough kids to roll up mats and stuff. Um, so it wasn't really fulfilling. And I, was ready to kind of move on to the next phase, but I didn't know what it was gonna be. And I ran into this guy named John Sachs, who mm-hmm. is out of Petaluma. And so North Coast is the section we're in. And he was, it was the state qualifying tournament and he was sitting next to us and shooting from the stands. And I said, what do you do? And he's like, well, I take pictures and I post them on the internet. And the internet, you know, I, I work in tech, so like the internet was something I was familiar with and how to do websites and stuff. And just, it was an absolute light bulb. Like it was, I heard him say those words and I was like, that's it. Like like a, a notion of like love at first sight kind of thing where you just have this chill, like right. that's what I'm gonna do. Like there was no question that that was exactly what I was gonna do. Like it, it just in a heartbeat hit that like, that's what I'm gonna focus on. So. I had a little point and shoot camera. I went out and just got better gear. And I said, to him, I actually wound up coaching the next season because um, for, for various reasons, I, I was going to end it at, at that season, but I had to coach the next season. But I really just wanted to like photograph. And so I stayed in touch with him and bought a, a like a kind of not great camera. But, um, you know, at the end of that season, Actually, it's really interesting. I, I, none of our kids made it from the Friday to the Saturday in that in the, that next season at the state qualifier. And uh, on Friday, I was a coach. And on Saturday, I came in. And, I, and as a coach, I was way too, like, in my head and too, like, you know, like, didn't really make a lot of friends because, you know, I was, had this team that didn't get a lot of respect and all this stuff. Anyway, so on Friday, I was a coach. And on, he said, yeah, why don't you come in and shoot on Saturday? And on Saturday, I was a photographer, and it it happened that quickly overnight that wow. I was I was yeah, and and of course I was like the friendliest guy. I was just like saying hi to coaches and officials and stuff like that, and I took some pictures, and he saw them, and he knew right away that like there was some kind of talent there. So then you know I bought better gear, and I started shooting for him, and I would just give him my photos, um, which a lot of new young shooters do. And uh, it just took off from there. So he he was a he was a mentor for sure. He he was did a lot of the things that I've done for you guys, which is how do I get a credential? Who's Gary Abbott at USA Wrestling? You know what are the ins and outs of how these things work? Um, but the photography was something that I just was like I I kind of knew that I was pretty good at it pretty early on. So um, I just loved it. You know, it's it's a little bit like golf. I, I don't know if you guys have ever golfed, but it's like. You take a lot of bad swings, but then you hit a beautiful swing, and it keeps you energized and back into it. So at Not first, me. it's like, it's no, you just hit the ball. <laughs> just bad uh, swings. <laughs> oh, just bad swings. Well, you know, so with this early on, you know, you're 
you're gonna hit a, you're gonna take a lot of crappy shots, but then all of a sudden you get a shot, you get a great shot, and um, that's what happened. I started getting some good shots. I got on the cover of Win Magazine. Like so, I went to um, you know, I went to Beast of the East. Uh, no, I went to the Iron Man and Beast of the East, like in 2006 or 2007, and I got a cover yeah. shot. And it's like, it was like right on. This this feels good. Like so. Um, just shot a ton and have really not stopped. Um, just, you know, love it. I love it. And, uh, it's, it's good to find a calling, you know, it, I'd say it comes natural to me. Like, that's right. I tell people, I just, I'm just funneling the energy that's going on in the room, you know? Um, but yeah, it's good to be great at something. And I, I, I say that without ego. I don't mean to say that like, you I know, I, yeah. like, you get getting the praise, getting the feedback from the athletes, from other photographers and stuff. It feels really good to to be like, yeah, this this fits. This is what I want to do. This is my my outlet. You know. Yeah. And, and can I interject super duper yeah. quick? You know, totally. I think this is a little bit of a tangent, but you know, I think one of the biggest problems with this these kids that are growing up now generation is they're okay at just being mediocre at things, and I think you know, that it's important to have something that you're good at and something that you strive to be good at. Um, and so that's really cool that, you know, maybe wrestling didn't work out for you as well as, you know, you would have hoped, but now you can go to photography and it, it, you can truly believe it's your calling. Um, yeah. You know, you're absolutely just right. a lot of mediocre, a lot of mediocre, mediocrity. Right. Um, it's all over the place and people are okay with being okay. And so, you know. Yeah. It, it's just, sometimes it's hard to find that, thing that thing that like really motivates you and stuff and combining it with a love and a passion you know and um and getting feedback you know I, I i do shout out to like all the high school coaches out there and junior high you know middle school coaches it is such hard work because the hard work it's like any relationship you know when people talk about hard work it's it's ha getting yourself like your spirit and like up for what could be a crappy practice because the kids are just running around and being you know doofuses right so like like coming in the room and having that positive attitude and that upbeat attitude with you know even if you're babysitting is so hard and having a lesson plan and, and executing it and stuff and knowing like how to how to treat individual kids and when to put the pressure on and when to let the pressure off them and stuff. It's a tremendous amount of work to build a successful program. Shout out to Mason. Yeah, man. Shout out to Mason. Yeah. It's, uh, to speak to your point, man, it, it, one of the things that I was always told, like the saying I kind of stick to is try you be a thermostat, not a thermometer, right? If you're going to be a coach, if you're going to be a leader, um, you need to be a thermostat. So you have to have the ability somehow, some way that when you step through the door, right, you have to clear, leave everything at the door and you got to, like you said, bring energy and set the tone, which especially with little kids is hard to do, man. It's hard to do consistently, especially because it's weird too. Like, and I mean, as a club coach, we get kids from all different schools, right? So they don't see each other all day and not the whole group. It's crazy because somehow, some way, there's a consistent energy throughout their group every day. Like somehow there's a consistent wavelength, and some nights are awesome. Everybody's locked in, and they're good. 
And then there's other nights, man, where it's just like Coach A, you know, Jim, the guy that runs the club, and I will sit there and look at each other and be like, they're just gone tonight. Like, I don't know what's happening. And those are the nights where, so to speak, like you make your money, right? You have to reel them in and you have to get them focused. And you got to try to help kids get better, even though they have the attention to fish sometimes. So it's, uh, it's a wild ride. Yeah. So, Tony, can you tell us about the first time you your first ever experience with home at advantage yeah i I think that my experience um a number of people particularly in the wrestling community was was with sam um announcing the southern scuffle and i think that um you know this this is a going to be an ego boost for both you guys um but you guys are special kids if you would excuse the term um, and I think that's immediately apparent. So I was like, this kid knows his stuff and was like, oh, cool. When, when I heard you guys were doing a podcast, now, Jude, just you, I know you didn't know who I was. And I, of course, <laughs> didn't know who you were. So it's a fair trade off. But um, so it was it was Sam doing the Southern Scuffle that year for Flow two years ago. Um, and then I. You know, I don't listen to all the wrestling podcasts that come out. I just don't have the time. But mm. I started listening to you guys, and it was absolutely clear that you guys are talented and smart. And you're not just making a podcast for other kids. You're you're making a podcast for adults, and you know what you're talking about. Um, so I started listening to the podcast and was like, you know, I, I thought at first, you know, it's it's cute, right? So a couple kids, I was like, oh, you know, cute kids. And then it was like, oh, wait, there's a lot of substance to this. Like, you guys know what you're talking about, and you, you bring a lot to it. So. Which which is funny, because when Jude and I talk about it, we, we, we look back at, like, the first podcast and laugh <laughs> at ourselves and, like, all the stuff we said and the way we spoke, we feel like we've, we've improved so much. And the fact that you guys really actually did enjoy – what we thought was absolutely terrible is, is kind of crazy. Yeah, no, it, it, it's uh, it's it's there's good substance to it, and the fact that it's coming from you know, y- you guys don't have this lifelong. You're you're not so opinionated, and that um, you don't bring a, a lot of like curmudgeonliness to it all. It's it's a lot of positivity is what I'm trying to say. So, um, I appreciated that, um, and. You know, around the fourth episode, which I think is a particularly good episode, I think you guys called that out last week. Um, uh, I was I was walking and listening to it, and I was like, well, you know, how how can I? What can I do more to support you guys? Um, and I certainly didn't go into it thinking like, you know, two years down the road, like, oh, I'm going to be this, you know, wrestling media mentor. And that's like, there's, <laughs> there was no notion of that. Like, I didn't pre-plan it at all. So the funny thing is, you know, I heard your podcast last week and was a little embarrassed to hear my name that many times. But, um, but you know, I... I was like, well, I, I didn't know what sponsorship was either, you know, so it was, it's pretty funny. Like, I didn't have this whole thing laid out and, and it formed or anything. It was sort of like, um, maybe what I can do is help you guys a little bit financially and maybe help you guys, like, get credentials and stuff, which is kind of what it's become. Um, but it's become a better, more of a friendship than, than anything um, with all of you guys. Uh, but, yeah, so I... 
you, you know, I DM'd you and I'm sorry to make you wait. You know, I reread the email that I sent and I, I didn't realize you guys would be kind of waiting for that. And I also reread the thing and it's long. <laughs> it is long. It is long. It is long. But I went uh, back and reread it recently too. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you why. So, you know, I didn't want to come off as this creepy guy. So that mm-hmm. was like, it was really important to me that your parents bought in. It was really important to me that I gave you guys some background that like, you know, that I'm involved in the sport and, and that I was married and had a normal life. So I wanted to give you some background on that. And then also, I didn't want to leave you hanging and like, well, what would a sponsorship look like? You know, so I, I it was a long email, but it needed to be, or I felt it needed to be, um, right. you know, because I kind of wanted to in, you know, cover a number of things that we were putting on the table there. So, yeah. Um, so there, there you go. I mean, so, you know, we, we talked and, and really, um, it's become a, a pretty fun mentorship for me. I was telling my wife the other day that, you know, I'm not getting back to the, the high school coaching and stuff like that. I'm not great with kids. You know, I, I don't walk up to just any kid and be like, Hey, let me mentor you. You know, I think that you guys are, are terribly special kids, like, and super smart, the homeschooling I'm, I've bought in completely on homeschooling <laughs> your folks, like credit to you guys um, and your folks, like, um, you know, so you guys have kind of made it easy because you ask great questions. And also it's a topic that I'm, I'm particularly, you know, in, involved in, right? Like with it, it's wrestling and it's like, how, how do you navigate these waters in wrestling media and in wrestling in, you know, in general as a fan and as a media person? Absolutely. And, uh, and eventually like, I think it was June, so it was a couple months after you first reached out to us. We met at Final X Rutgers. Oh man! Uh, and, and I, I was think, probably shorter than Jude realized. Yeah, I think I think I was... Jude thought we were both much shorter than than he thought. <laughs> I was yeah, like, whoa! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you you were surprised by me first of all when we were walking into the building being so uh, short, and then uh, then you saw Tony. Yeah, well, it's totally. just because it's just because you get an email from someone. And I'm like, oh, I bet he's. I bet he's, you know, my height or higher because he's an adult. And when you're, especially yeah. when you're a kid, like you just, you don't really look at adults as being like tall or short or anything. You just look at them as being adults. Yeah. And so yeah. once you grow up, then you start realizing, oh, wait, they come in different sizes too. And, uh, <laughs> and so I, totally. you know, that was fun. It was fun. Yeah. For those who don't know me, I'm five foot two on a good day. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I'm pretty short, but you know, I think one of the things just a plug for short people, like if you don't see yourself as short, other people won't see you short. Like I, I just do not see it. Like I don't walk around all day going like, oh man, sometimes I'll see pictures and be like, dang, you know, (laughs) um, but most of the time I just don't see myself as short at all. Like just, yeah, big heart. Big heart. But that was a, that was a fun, um day and event at final x um yeah tony and i were coming from pretty far kind of um and we made it for the first session so i got to talk to you a good bit there and get all set up and everything and then jude made it for the second um and that was just just a blast it was so fun yeah and you know you you i kind of you got to take you take a chance on people, right? It's like kind of recommending somebody for a job. So here I'm saying to Gary Abbott and 
and folks like, hey, these kids are really good, but I don't know if you're going to do something crazy, like go run out of the mat or do something, you know, silly. So I was super proud of you guys for being completely professional. And you totally like, I was really, I, it, it's so funny that like Mike Finn took a liking to you guys because he's, he's very serious. He's, he does his job extremely well. And um, I was like that, he's the type of person that I was thinking, maybe he'll kind of question like, why are there, you know, why is there a 12 year old kid, you know, here, but man, you guys did such a good job and impressed everybody. Um, you did a really good job of being fanboys. That's what we did. A yeah, good job. I was right. like, oh, it was yeah. man. There's nothing like it though. Being at an event with press credentials, there's nothing like it. And another thing is that was my second event like that I'd ever been to that wasn't my own competition. I'd been to the Scuffle, which was the time of my life, and then I went to Final X. And so my experience of going to like events that's not my own wrestling is completely different from Jude's who has been going to Penn State duel since he was little. Um, like I started out with, I started late and I started out with just having the time of my life every time I go to an event. And from there I went to who's number one at Carver Hawkeye arena and commentated there. And so I had, I've like my experience at tournaments and events has just been incredible for this last year and a half about. Yeah, it's um, it's fun to see things through people's eyes. And so I could see the gleam in your eye. You know, you just were on top of the world. And it was like, I remember specifically we turned around and, you know, early on, early on in the day, it's like Coleman Scott standing there. I'm like, oh, hey, Coleman, have you met Sam? And Sam's like, oh, my God, it's Coleman Scott. Like, yeah, I remember that. Um, you know, it's like just everywhere you turn, there's somebody famous that you want to meet and stuff. It's right. pretty cool. Bader. Yeah, that was incredible. And and all the people that, like, it wasn't just me looking around. Oh, I know him. I know him. These guys are great. But they actually, like, took time to talk to me and introduce yeah. themselves. And it really opened my eyes to who was actually listening in my podcast. Like, at the time, I thought it was a, a few people on Twitter and then my family and Jude's family. I, I was thinking was listening to the podcast but when Coleman Scott was like yeah I, I know I listen to the podcast and and all the guys at Flow knew me and it, it was it was a pretty cool experience that's for sure yeah absolutely so hey let's um if, if Sam you don't have anything to say I was gonna say we can transition the conversation to um to Mason and how he got involved in Home Advantage and I know that you know there's a lot of things to go over obviously but uh you know we thought it would be good to to kind of show everybody our, our group and, and who's all involved with Home Ed Advantage. So, Mason, tell us, man, when did you first encounter Home Ed Advantage? Uh, pretty similar to Tony, to be honest with you. You know, I follow everything, you know. Um, obviously saw and heard Sam at the scuffle commentate and everything, and, like, I spend way too much time on Twitter. So... I kind of saw the start of it there with when you guys started putting things out with the podcasts and just with everything else. And then when I made the transition out of college coaching back to move back to Pittsburgh and get back into club coaching in the corporate world, uh, Tony reached out to me. Um, the wrestling world's a small one. I don't have a clue where Tony and I would have first met or interacted, but it's it was it's been a while now. Um, you know, probably it was nationals. It was at okay. NCAA's. 
I mean, I knew who you were. I photographed you when you were in high school, but um, it was NCAAs four years ago or something. I, I don't remember which one. Yeah, so, you know, again, the wrestling world's a small one. Tony and I had built um, a mutual respect and a, and a friendship of sorts just, again, through the love of wrestling, right? So Tony reached out to me, and he was like, hey, man, I know you've done some media stuff before. If you're interested, I think uh, I think these guys would be a perfect fit. And I just said, yeah, absolutely. Um, I knew what you guys were doing. I was a big fan of it. Um, I was following it. So, uh, you know, that's that. It's pretty special. You know, we uh, we've said it every podcast now since however – for however many episodes, but we have – I believe the greatest team in wrestling, you know, we're, we're all really good friends and we all can have conversations and, and be intelligent. Um, but it's and just it's fun to do it. <laughs> so, you know, I appreciate you guys. It's, it's really fun. And, uh, you know, if there's anything else that needs to be said, let's say it. And then, uh, let's, let's get into some news and, and talk about some stuff in wrestling now. Well, let's yeah. get into it. Well, one real quick thing to your point, okay. dude, yeah, I think ahead. one of the, one of the things that I think makes us super unique is the variety of perspectives, right? So you have, you know, Tony, you've been in the sport from the jump, right? Like you said, in different capacities as a competitor, um, you know, and you've lived through different eras of the sport, right? And I mean, you know, when you were a kid and everything, like think think of the change in the production value of events from the time that you wrestled to now, mm. right? It, it, it's amazing how much different it is. It's amazing from the time I was a kid, you know, and I was born in the early 90s. So, you know, Tony has lived through it and you live, you live your wrestling world through the lens for the most part, right? Mm -hmm. That's certainly how you're known and everything. So you live it through the lens. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to compete through college and everything, coach at that level. And now I spend most of my time bouncing around as a coach and everything. Um, and then you guys, obviously Jude, you're in high school, Sam, you're in junior high. You guys are, li I mean, literally you guys are living the dream. It might not feel like it right now. It might not always feel like it, but it is, you guys are living the dream. So I think one of the things that makes us super unique and I do Jude, I I'm a big fan and I'm a big believer in what you said. I think we've got the most complete team because we're all wrestling junkies in our own way, right? We're all in love with the sport We've all, we come from very different backgrounds. You know, Tony, even just geographically, we come from different backgrounds. Um, we've taken different paths or are taking different paths through the sport. Um, but we all are open-minded and provide something very unique. So that's, to me, that's what makes HMA such a special, such a unique thing. Definitely. And, and like you said, like the difference between um, all of our backgrounds and our knowledge too, like, it's funny, FRL's been going through the past 10 years NCA brackets, and they'll start talking about 2012, where you guys probably have a lot of knowledge of what happened, and they'll start saying names, and I'm like, who in the world is that? <laughs> and I can tell you everybody in the bracket, and I can tell you stats about them in 2019, but 2017, I can't tell you very many people at all. So, so it's pretty funny how we have Tony, who knows probably a lot of stuff going back pretty far, and then Mason... Um, less far, but still, you've been involved in the sport since early 90s, 2000s, and it just keeps getting closer and closer. And so I think that um, wide range of knowledge that we have definitely adds adds as well. Absolutely. You guys are way more 
of the junkies and I am. I, <laughs> I, I don't have time to keep up on all the nuances. I can't watch all the dual meets and stuff. Um, my wife wouldn't let me, and I just don't have the time. Uh, but I sometimes I feel bad because you guys will, will be talking about, you know, eight people deep on a bracket or a seating, and I'm like, I, you lost. <laughs> you know, after Marinelli and Joseph, you lost me. No, Wick, I know, I know him. He's Californian, but you know, so you guys are ahead of me. And yeah, just uh, I like for me the photography is this is a hobby <laughs> like it's not my day job i have a pretty demanding uh day job um for disney streaming so like disney plus stuff and espn plus so um yeah i kudos to you guys because you you there's a lot to follow um and i i appreciate you guys doing it i actually get a lot of my information through you guys like oh, listening to it and stuff yeah. dude it's just because we're homeschooled <laughs> Hashtag homeschooled. Totally. Goals. Hey, Dyson, Dyson Gould's doing a pretty good job. He's not homeschooled. He does do a pretty good there job. There you go. He does, He's another he does good. Yeah. All right. Cool. You Let's go? get on to it. So I think the, the biggest thing to talk about real quick is, you know, the IOC came out uh, officially today that 2020 Olympics will be postponed, um, I believe, for one more year. I think that is what I heard. Um Tony, yeah, they, they need. Thoughts. Well, what I read is they need to be completed by uh, the summer of 2021. So it's not to say that it's going to happen in, you know, July and August, but that's probably what everybody's thinking, and that it'll get pushed like a full year. But that, you know, you could see the dates changing a little bit there. Right. Um, I was resistant. I'm sure the IOC was super resistant to making that change. They kind of got right. their their card played a little bit by the Canadian guy um, in that they probably wanted to um, manage the message a little bit better than having to make a pretty rapid announcement. So I think some news got leaked that that was what they were thinking of doing was pushing a full year or, or at least pushing it, not like uh, six months. I can't see them doing that and holding it in the winter. Um, but, you know, my, my reactions um, are both, um, you know, with the staff, I mean, the same staff that runs the uh, Summer Olympics runs the Winter Olympics. And so now you'd be looking at a six month difference between the Summer Olympics and then the Winter Olympics, which are February 2022 in Beijing, no less. Um, and I can't see them pushing all of Olympics now, you know, a year. They're not going to do that. So uh, these people are going to be under a lot of stress and trying to get them done, two Olympics done in six months. Um, but from our perspective, uh, you know, all these questions, right, um, where you're like, do the people who qualified can remain qualified? So this is in the U.S., right? So do all those qualifiers remain? Do we open up, you know, how do we open up new room for new new qualifiers who might be coming up through? Um, that's a question, uh, lots of questions. And you know, my mind goes to folks like Burroughs. So Burroughs, I think everybody kind of knew he was going to retire after the Olympics, right? So now is he looking at he's, you know, does he have to go to ranking series again? Does he have to go like a whole nother year cycle um, to, uh, to, to get to the dream, right? And one assume he does. And so um, that's not, that doesn't bode well for someone who's starting to, to, you know, kind of, kind of maybe be on the, I mean, I don't want to say anything about Jordan, but you know what I mean, right? He's like, he's not getting younger, right? So um, it's hard to stay peaks for you know. Totally, it's hard to stay stay on your game. Yeah, um, 
I mean, obviously Jordan Burroughs can do it. If he, if anyone can, he can. Yep. Um, but you know, like, like you said, he's been competing in every single Olympic and world. He's made every single team since like whatever, what yep. year, two, what year was that? 2011. 11. <clears throat> he made his first team in 2011. Yeah. Cause he won it in 12. Uh, he won Olympics. Olympics. Yeah. You know, I assume that the UWW is going to hold the, you know, from the 2019 Worlds, they're going to they're going to keep those spots, those the, the countries that have earned those spots. And then, you know, we got the Pan American qualifiers done. It was the last event, that wrestling event before everything shut down. Um, I I'm going to assume they're not going to re-wrestle those like next year. Yeah. Um, but they still have to do Europe and Asia and Africa. Zane Resford so, hopes they do. Yeah. There you go, right? And then the last, the last chance there. And um, Yanni and Jo and everybody else at that weight hopes they do. Right. So. Some questions coming out for me. Um, one of the biggest one is, what does this mean for the 2021 UWW World Championships? What do, what do they do oh, moving snap. forward? They, yeah, no, that's a wow, that's a great question. Yeah, that's a great mm. question. Oslo. And can they get one in? This year, are I, have they planned an Olympic year world championships? Has no, UWW planned that? No, somebody needs to step up and want to uh, pay the money to do it. And since it's like it would be off, you know, non-Olympic weights, there's not a lot there. I don't think financially for somebody to step up, a country to step up and do it. Um, but Sam, you bring up a great question. It would be basically two years without a world championships, right? Because we skip this right. year and then the Olympics next year. It's a great. That's a great question. I didn't even think of that. Um, and then yeah. I know another thing that's on top of everybody's minds is the Olympic red shirts that the NCAA athletes are taking. Yep. They've just had an off year for absolutely no reason. Do they get another shot at it if they want it? Like I could see very. Very few wrestlers will take it, even if they offer it, which I don't yeah. think they will. But my um, take is going to see a lot of hybrid, you know, the the Snyder approach, right? When he the the Olympic year, so you, yeah, you know, you, I, I, I mean, it's got to be it. Yeah, I, I think so, folks like Yanni will do a hybrid season, and he'll 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 go to Italy in July, January, or whatever the case may be, you know, and go fly and and compete, you know, in a freestyle event for a ranking series, and then come back and wrestle for Cornell, you know, and, and I think, then, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, what is this virus looking like? Like could, could COVID last 18 months from now? Um, what are we looking at with that? And that's that, these are the questions that just make everything so blurry. And I, I just hate to be a, an Olympic athlete at this time to have to deal with all this. And like Jordan Oliver was on, um, Bader's FRL thing, and he was talking about just how mentally um, he is just draining him for everything that he's training for. Um, his weight, like I'm sure after the Olympics were postponed um, today, he had to have been like immediately relieved for his weight and sad, like the emotions that he has um, for that. Like it's so emotionally draining to to have this process i just couldn't imagine being an athlete in this time no yeah. and i mean the other thing too is like the the cycle the physical cycle that athletes at that level go through so use somebody um you know somebody like 
I think James Green's moving up this time. But if you get anybody that's at a catch weight normally that's moving down for the Olympic cycle, there's a lot that goes into that process of changing your body right. to shrink your body to come down. Maybe like so, a cologne. Or like he a Jakara in Winter. Italy. Yeah, like Jakara Winchester yeah. too. Like, yeah, Jakara, Sarah Hildebrandt, anybody like that. You go through a lot to shrink your body, and obviously your body's not normally that small. So now when you're left with this open-ended situation, it's like, what do you do? What does your cycle look like, right? Because if you're going to do it the right way to change your body, I mean, to be honest with you, like, this is something I have a little bit of personal experience with because I'd weigh, like, I wrestled 33, and I would weigh in the low 60s in July and August. So, like, I would have to go through the process of changing my body every year, and it takes a while. Like, you don't feel normal for six months. So, I mean, again, for those athletes, like, you can't just stay down. Right. But – Again, without a solid date, what do you do? What do you do with training cycles? What do you do? I mean, right now, how do you train? How do you it's train, just, exactly? It's just one of, I mean, it's literally something, I mean, you know, Tony, you're the oldest of, here, oldest of us here, but I don't think any of us have ever seen anything like this or ever expected to. No, no, I don't think there's been anything like this. And you're right. I mean, thinking about it, when would Sarah's, Hildebrand's next competition be I mean it might not be till December right right? you don't know I I mean it's crazy like to hold your weight for nine months like it's insane yeah somebody though like Forrest Molinari though who's moving up um they they have to be like yeah I got more time to to make this transition and um maybe for Seth Gross I think he could make the jump up but then if he wants to take another year, if NCA gives him another year, does that mean he goes to 41? Like there are so many complications that go with all of this. Yeah. Well, and, um, and then and then you look at like the perspective of you mentioned Burroughs, right? So like the Dake Burroughs dynamic. I mean, again, I, I like I'm never going to be one to necessarily bet against Burroughs, but father time is a real thing, right? That works in Dake's favor. Um, David Taylor has more time to get fully healthy because, mm-hmm. I mean, even though he looked as good as he did the last time he was on the mat, I still don't think he was fully healthy. Um, there are so many dynamics. Jaden Cox has even, not that I think Jaden needs a whole lot of time to get big, but Jaden has even more time to build up to Snyder. Um, Deeringer has more time to build up. Like you go through the whole list of anybody that's building up, or if you get the dynamic of, and, and Dake Burroughs is the best one I could think of, of you get somebody that's, I mean, I don't want to call it the twilight of Burroughs' career because he's still so good, but in the timeline it is, right? That favors Dake. You know, it favors people that moved up. It favors people that are on the younger side. So it's such a unique situation. Yeah. You know, this all kind of goes back to what we were talked about at the beginning of the podcast, but is the, you know, chop wood, carry water, right? Wrestlers. It's ingrained in us, you know, to to have to, you know, do hard things. And this coronavirus, this pandemic that we're dealing with right now, it's a very hard thing. No one's expected it. But, you know, I think if if anyone can can get, you know, stiffen their upper lip and power through it, it's going to be us wrestlers. Um, and who knows how long it's going to take. But I, what I do know is that we are tough. You know, we're we're a tough breed of human beings in that we can, we can get through it. 
So. And you guys mentioned chop wood, carry water. I don't know how if you guys have read it, but um, the whole premise of that book is falling in love with the process of being great. And it's, it, it really just talks about instead of the reason that you do something is for the end result, make the reason that you do something because you truly have a passion for the process. And it's funny that you guys bring that up because that is exactly – what the wrestlers have to do at this time. Like when NCAAs got canceled, the NCAA athletes have to find a way to be content with that. And they have to find a way to accept that in their minds. Um, my state tournament got canceled the day before weigh-ins and I had to find a way to accept that and be content with it. And the way I had to do that was through understanding that what I love is the process and not the result. And um, so whether the state tournament happened, whether I won the state tournament and reached my goals or whatever that was, um, I had to understand that I had gotten the satisfaction and I was content with, with what I had. And, and so I think that's what the wrestlers have to be doing right now. Mm-hmm. Yep, 100%. Man. Stuff. Okay. Well, hey, do we want to, you know, so we had the, um, the Pan Am Championships. They just happened. We want to do a quick little recap of uh of what happened there yeah and to- tony was up there how, how was that tony and in-, in canada was it like i'm sure they had some some serious lockdown quarantine situations there. well it, it followed right behind us like so it was in ottawa and it was over two weekends it's a bit of a unique uh situation where they have the yearly uh pan-american championships which is mm-hmm. a ranking event they call it the continental championships um so that happened the first weekend, um, and so like Burroughs and Snyder uh, wrestled in that, um, whereas the Pan American Olympic qualifier was the second weekend in the exact same facility, which is really, you know, very, very unique situation. It was, um, it, it was weird. Uh, they, the first week, nobody was really taking it seriously. People were hugging and saying hello to each other and doing the European style, like kissing their cheeks and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah this is crazy um and would get kind of funny looks when i would try to like fist bump or elbow bump by the second weekend everybody was like oh wait this is like you know in the course of a week it went from like ah this is a big this is no big deal to like oh wait this is really serious um they considered shutting it down and stopping it uh for the second weekend but there were no unfortunately there weren't a lot of fans the first weekend really um it's in Ottawa. Ottawa has a pretty strong wrestling community, but um, it they just weren't drawing a lot of fans. So the idea, uh, like it wasn't like a thousand people or two thousand people in an arena. They had to say sorry, you can't come watch. It was, you know, maybe 150, 200 fans. So they um, they just tried to keep things separate. So like there was one two mat warm up facility that um, was really right next to the arena and. Um, Everybody was wrestling on that because there were a lot of like people in. So this is Pan America, so it's like the all the Americas. So folks from Cuba and stuff, they were rolling on those mats every day because they didn't have anywhere else to work out. So on the first day of the second weekend, they basically kicked everybody out that wasn't wrestling competing that day um, because they wanted to keep the numbers down. So their version of the CDC kind of walked through and was like, okay you know, this room, there shouldn't be as many people. And so they, they tried to kind of separate folks as best they could. Um, so it was a little trippy. And then I flew out on a 
Monday and they started closing Canada down like behind me. You know, they were like no more people in, like allowed into the country unless you're a Canadian citizen. So it was definitely eerie and weird. And the airport was was really there was like nobody in it and stuff. Um, hey, real quick, yeah. can we talk mm-hmm. about how bizarre it was that they were having people do fist bumps for, uh, for you know, I was, I know like David I Taylor had that. to give, uh, yeah. give Tora Blanca a fist bump and I, yeah, you know, just before they wrestle a match. At, at yeah. youth tournaments, they've been having no shaking hand policy, so they can't shake the coaches, refs, or opponent's hand. But and then, then, then they literally wrestle. Like, <laughs> wrestle each other, like right, full body right. contact. I yeah. asked GT about it. I asked David about it. I was like, what did you think? And he's like, I, I made a joke about it to the officials, and they did not find it as funny as I did. Yeah. I hate when that happens because you're trying to be nice to the official, and then like, um, yeah. they don't they don't like it. Not funny. But yeah. anyway, how was how was the event, Tony? The event was good. Um, you know, the the like I was saying, the Pan American Championships. There was some. I overheard some discussion that maybe it shouldn't happen. The uh, Olympic cycle, like back to back with the uh, qualifier, um, people were kind of suggesting that maybe that was too much because, with minus it being uh, a ranking series event. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a fair amount of fluff. There's, it's, you don't really need that competition, but it was entertaining. I mean, um, we did pretty well. Yeah. One interesting thing is that Yanni actually teched, um, Desterbats, who was the guy from Argentina that wound up beating Zane the next weekend. Oh, um, really? Yanni wrestled and teched him. I did um, not know that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, um, that kid. We can talk about that guy in a in a minute. Um, Burroughs and Franklin Gomez got super chippy. If you want to watch that, like legitimately, oh, I saw that. Gomez got pissed off. Um, you know, Burroughs came out swinging pretty hard. Uh, Gomez was doing a lot of finger grabbing and stuff, which I have photos of. But um, Burroughs is definitely aggressive in that match, um, and. Uh, it, it was competitive, and they were definitely like John at the end of it. I mean, it's interesting because the last time they wrestled, Gomez was winning with whatever nine seconds left, um, and you know, Jordan Burroughs got came back. Um, and you know, when I saw the score, it was like, oh, Jordan wins, whatever. It was like nine to two. I was like, oh, it must have not been that competitive. But I mean, it was. It was competitive up until the very end. It, it was a fist fight, man. Like, I think Jordan's take, you know, what he does is sort of like, if you're going to push me, if you're going to beat me, right. I'm going to beat on you. And he, like, from the literally the first seconds, he's, like, really cuffing very, very hard. And the officials tried to put a stop to it, but they were both kind of going at each other and stuff. Jordan was definitely getting dinged way more and warned way more than Gomez, though you, you see Gomez, like, he was, he was, you know, he was right in there in the fight. Um, so that's that was a pretty good match. One match, um, you know, Tor Blanca, who David wound up beating as a Cuban guy, he's, he's built like a, a brick house. Um, <laughs> uh, he and Dinger uh, had a good match, and Dinger was wrestling pretty well. Um, 
I was telling Sam about this. It's worth going back because there are some of these matches where I don't know if the UWW ref was new or what the situation was, but basically it was tied with Dinger um, on criteria. It was tied 1-1. Dinger had criteria with like 45 seconds left in the match. And the official's looking up at the head judge and he's like stops the match and he warns he warns Dinger for for fleeing, for you know, like staying in there. And nine seconds later, with thirty-four seconds, they put Dinger on the clock. Which is like, come on, just literally just hand the match like just stop the match right there and give right. it to Torianka. And I just don't understand sometimes the thinking there because you really rarely see that. And when you do, like to see I think it was nine seconds between when they warn him and when they like put him on the clock. And it's like Come on. Like, I've seen matches where the guy will run the entire match and never be put on the clock, you know? Um, so, like, in, a, in one of Gilman's matches against, I think it was the Cuban, the guy was running the whole time, and they never got put on the clock. But um, that was, sorry, for the for the qualifier. But, um, yeah, it's kind of a rough match to watch because Dinger couldn't score. And, you know, later I talked to David about that guy, Torre Blanca, and he said, if you score on him early... If you score on him, but you score on him early, you have a much better chance of winning that match, which is why oh, David yeah. came really aggressive. If you need to score on him late, you're not going to get that done. And so that's exactly what happened to Alex, and it was a bit of a bummer. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was you know, a decent match to watch. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was fun, fun to shoot. The light was good. Um, the photos came out pretty good. The warm-up area was naturally lit, so meaning they had like a, just a whole wall of, of open windows. And so we got some great like warm-up shots and behind-the-scenes stuff, um, which I got to give a plug and a shout-out to this kid. You guys are going to be a little jealous, but um, this, this, like, this 16-year-old girl uh, came over and was like, my camera died, my lens won't come off, and she, it was a Nikon camera. And I was like, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Like, I can't get this lens off. I don't know what to do. And then I, about five minutes later, I'm like, ah, I've got a spare camera. I don't love the camera. So I was like, hey, I went over to her. I was like, if you want to borrow this tomorrow, you can shoot. And she wound up shooting for both weekends for me, doing, like, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff and getting great shots. Awesome. Uh, her name is Layla. Yeah, she was awesome. Like, again, it reminded me of you guys because it's like, one, I don't normally just hand a camera to a kid, though with her, I kind of took a chance. Two, you know, the shots will be, like, all over the place. But it turns out she's super talented, like, great photographer. Her her mom is a photographer, it turns out. Mm. So, um, you know, it reminded me of you guys where it's just like, man, you just, just you know, it just worked out great. Like, the I, I took a look at her shots the first night, and I was like, oh, wow, like, she's got a good eye. She's, like, talented. So we had fun, um, you know, like she just, every morning she'd come in and, and grab the camera and go shoot. So it was That's good. pretty cool. Yeah, it was very cool. I was like thinking like, how can we get her on the HMA team? But, and she's a good wrestler apparently. Um, but I don't know. She in Canadian? What way contribute. Yeah, she's from Ottawa. Mm, I think yeah. we have an only American policy. Ah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, Sam certainly does. Sam's oh, yeah. very pro you know USA. It. Yeah. Well, I'll make introductions. You guys can at least meet her online. So, hey, real quick, yeah, um, because I have to leave here pretty shortly. Yeah, you know, let's talk about what the, you know, obviously we don't know what the plan is, but like what needs to be done for Team USA, um, heading into the the next whenever the Olympics are going to be. What do we need to get done, and 
who is the best guy to do it. Well, I think you're probably leading to 65. So just to jump super, super quick, I know you got to go um, with that Olympic qualifier. We did fantastic. So the men's freestyle team qualified. Um, you know, we now have qualified five of six weights. So Gilman looked good. Um, David looked great. Gwizdowski qualified. So five of our six weights are qualified. Um, jumping ahead, the women qualified the rest of the weights. So we've got six to six. And the Graco team has four or six qualified. So um, that the, everybody's spirits were up, especially the women and the men's freestyle. It was like everybody was just riding really high on that because um, uh, particularly the women went four for four. It was, it was wonderful to see. It was a good day. But uh, 65 kind of is our white whale in our country, right? We're just, we, we just we struggle there. Um, if only just because the competition is, is really, really good. Um, so for those who were living under a rock and don't know, um, Zane in the semifinal match was against an Argentinian kid. Now doing some research on him, he's actually been around a long time. Like if you go in, his name is, his last name is Desterbots. Um, there are uh, cadet videos of him from 2015 wrestling, really? uh, Joe Cologne. Yeah, go, you can go, he, Michich wrestled him in 2015. He, he's not a newcomer. He's been around a long time. Um, and, uh, you know, but Yanni teched him the weekend before. So I think that the confidence was pretty high that Zane was going to be able to beat him. Zane takes him down. He goes into a leg lace, overcommits on the leg lace, and gets caught on his back. The official was incredibly generous. So you know how an international, like, you're on your back. Like, they just look up to, you know, one of the judges, and they're like, it's over. They gave him a good 25 seconds, which is a long time to be on yeah. your back. He was really? fighting for his life. I mean, he, you, you know, for me, like a lot of emotion flows through me when I'm shooting. Like I, I can't shut it off. Right. So I'm like, I'm not crying, but man, I was just like every ounce of my energy was just, just please get off your back. Like I knew he could, Zane could be down by eight and he'd come back and win against this kid. You know, I knew that like, if you can just get off your back and you know, early on when the person gets put on their back, there's like panic, but then you're like, okay, there's a, there's this fleeting moment, five, maybe three seconds in there. You're like, you're like, almost out and, and if the guy doesn't catch your arm or do something or catch something you know you're gonna get out and and the guy settled in and it was like oh my god like the entire country's you know the u.s is just like please zane please get off your back um it's just hard wrestling is hard it's a hard business you know and and you can get caught and you can make mistakes and so um he'll, he'll bounce back he bounced back for third um, but it's a it's a bummer. So the hard work there is to get that qualified. Mm. Who do you who do you think is the the best candidate to qual get qualified? Tony and Mason. Go ahead, Mason. Oh, you're on Mason. Mute. Either you might be muted. Yeah, sorry. We got we got dogs in the house, so no worries. Uh, but no, so. If they're at their absolute best, I would probably say Oliver. I just, I mean, I'm biased. I've known Jordan since we were young, but when when he's on, man, he's just so special. And Yanni is too. Don't get me wrong. And so is Zane. All of them are. Um, and and I'm splitting hairs here. But the thing with Jordan is offensively, he can score against elite guys in just so many ways. He can do things that 
are such a special combination of power, speed, and an extremely high wrestling IQ that he's been surrounded by incredible wrestling minds his whole life. Um, so if I if gun to my head, I got to pick one at their absolute best. I'm taking Oliver. Yeah, yeah, I I I agree, and um, I think part of that is his risk factor is very very low compared to a guy like Zane or Yanni. Um, obviously we know Yanni puts himself in positions where he could really give up stuff and, and Zane's pace is just so high. He's going to lose points a lot. And, um, a guy like on, uh, Oliver is a little bit more seasoned. Uh, he's got a little bit more skill that can match the, um, the foreign wrestler styles. I think he is a great bet for a sure qualification. Now I think Yanni's ceiling is probably the highest. Um, and I think he's probably our best shot at Olympic gold, in my opinion. But I could, I think Jordan Oliver is our best bet for qualifying the weight, if if you understand that. No, you have to. Do you have to win last chance? Yes. Uh, I think, I think so. top two. Top two. Oh, that yeah. that that. Yeah, you gotta make All finals. right then. So you gotta that make makes finals. it a lot easier. Uh, <laughs> Just well, send them both. We'll qualify both spots. If you look at the field, there's nothing easy about qualifying. Because we know Jordan Oliver loves stealing spots. Right. That'd be yeah. funny. Can you send multiple people in a wait to last chance? No. No, One. you got to send your rep. Yeah. Uh, so we have to have our Olympic team trials before last chance? That's that's right. Well, that's what they, they wanted the timing to be like that like right so that that was a huge topic of discussion if everything got pushed and because it was announced that the last chance is going to get pushed because the european and the african and asian qualifiers were going to get pushed so um we were like where do we fit in and we would want like and you need two weeks between the event either before or after for it to be fair at least two weeks you know um, so the talk was trying to get the OTTs done in May and then the last chance in June, but, um, uh, now it's now who knows. It's tough. I remember when Molinero won the spot, I remember being like, this is awesome. He's our Olympic, you know, he's our rep. He's going to the Olympics. And dad's like, he's got to go to last chance. I was like, this is dumb. Look at, look at all the things he just did. Let him go. But, I mean, he, he qualified the spot, so it was okay. All right. So, guys, I think that's where I have to leave. Um, if you guys want to continue talking, I feel free to. Um, but I am going to have to leave the call right now. So, hey, thank you, guys. Great. Bye. See, See you, Jude. All right. Later, Jude. All right. Now it's three. Um, I don't really think there's too much more to talk about. We could finish up some, some Pan Am thoughts if you have any more. Um but we're getting pretty close to wrapping it up here. Yeah, no, um, just I, I shout out to to the the Greco team did really well too to qualify um, four or six weights. They've got a little bit more work to do for their last chance, but um, be happy to see um, you know uh, those weights qualified and and uh, the four of the six. So that's good because they were looking at zero of six uh, going into that. Uh, it, wasn't Max Nauri? qualified though uh non-olympic weight he won he, oh man he, that was a non-olympic weight yeah oh man um yeah. so anyway um women did really well too they they qualified six out of six they finished it off right 
Yeah, they did. And um, it's, That's you know, incredible. it would have been it would have been a disaster if they hadn't. I mean, you know, Hildebrand's really solid at 50. Winchester at 53 is just, oh, my God, she's a monster. Helen looked very good, um, you know, shake, shaking some rust off, but she looked really good. Um, Miracle wrestled really well. So, you know, it just it was it was a really nice day for the USA that day. Um, you know, everybody was running pretty high. Um, it was, it was fun to be there. Do you think, do you think Helen is 2016 Helen or close to it? Um, that's hard to say. I, I don't think so. And I, I love Helen. Um, she's awesome, but I, I, I think that given the state of her injuries, there's probably always f- forever going to be kind of um, a hesitancy and a and a and a reluctance and and not why and and people are going to come at her and they're going to want to throw her on her head, you know. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, can she get there? I think so. You know, I saw Helen in 2016 at the Olympics like a week before, and I'll tell you, like. If you, I've never seen another better example of Eye of the Tiger kind of thing, like the whole Rocky mm-hmm. thing, where um, she was eating. She's told the story. She was eating the exact same meal every every meal. She was she was not talking to media. She wasn't talking to anybody. She was she would eat over in the corner. She'd eat like chicken, like you know, boiled chicken and broccoli for every single meal. She was so focused, and I didn't really fully grasp it until the competition started, and she was so locked in. I mean, so unbelievably locked in that she could do it. You know, she, she had the mental edge and, you know, when she pinned Matson in the semis, it was like, wow, she really could, could do this. Now, is she there yet? I don't know. I mean, we haven't seen her against like really high, high level competition. Well, Ellie um, Reagan's a world silver medalist. She is, she's a pretty good scale in my opinion of, of the world. And she is right there to win. So yeah, I, I think Helen, I mean, her ceiling is definitely really high, and we all know that. She is – I mean, go watch the matches from this competition. Like, she's unbelievably good at uh, making you think you've scored a takedown and then showing you you haven't. Like, she she gets into these positions um, that right at the last – like, she's so sneaky. I mean, she's mm-hmm. got a fantastic offense. She's got a lot in her repertoire – you know, she's got a really nice fireman's like she's got a lot of offensive firepower, but her defense is really, really good. Um, really good, really sneaky, really. And I talked to some of the girls after some of the women who've wrestled her and they're like, or Chun was like, yeah, she she'll make you think that you've got a takedown and then she'll she'll like she'll spin out of it. I'll point it out to you guys after like what exactly I'm talking about. Um, she's really sneaky. So, I mean. Her acumen, to Sam's point, like her ceiling is super high in terms of her wrestling ability. Um, It's just the physicality is really, and it almost comes down to the brutal physicality, right? Like, how is she going to do in in just a brutal match? Um, And I hope she, I hope she does well. I'm a huge fan. You know, I think, I think her like sneakiness, like you were talking about, um, and her savviness can be credited to to coach Valentin Kalika. Um, he is such an amazing coach and I know they've, they've kind of split since then, since 2016, but, um, like his technique and, and the wrestling that he's able to coach is incredible. And I think a lot of her style can be credited to that. Yeah. And I, and I think, 
you know, one of the things with Helen that's so, and, and it goes right into what you're saying, Tony, with how sneaky she is, how good her defense is, especially like how good her dead to rights defense is basically. Mm-hmm. Um, when she's clicking and this was the Pan Ams was the first time I saw this since 2017. Cause she won worlds then too. Um, when she's on even remotely close, the, her, the fluidity of her wrestling is it's art. It's unbelievable. It literally, like, I think I said, I think I tweeted something like this, but watching her wrestle when she's on, it's like poetry in motion. There is no, like, things are so seamless. And to your point about the defense, like, she can go from dead to right. I don't want to say weasel her way out of it, but kind of weasel her way out of it and transition right into an advantageous position as well, if not better than anybody I've ever watched. It's... Mm -hmm. It's incredible, and I mean, Sam, I think you hit the nail on the head. I'm sure Valentine has a lot to do with that. Um, you know, I mean, she grew up going to the the club at the University of Maryland when Coach Santoro and those guys were there, and, I, you know, I've, I've heard them talk about it, like, from the time she was young. They're like, she's going to be really good. Um, so I think you, you kind of have a stars aligning situation with Helen where – she has grown uh, – she grew up through the rise of American women's wrestling, and it's still happening, right? Like this is going to be the best women's Olympic team we've ever had. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I think you know, so. Which, which I think is awesome to see. I think – honestly, I think all three styles are on the upswing in America, which is awesome. Like men's freestyle continues to get better and deeper back to where it was, you know, in the Schultz-Smith-Monday era of things. Um Greco, I think, is on the upswing. Like you said, we went from zero to four weights qualified, and the women just continue to get better. They're, our women's team is getting to the point where they can legitimately compete with Japan. So um, mm-hmm. it's awesome. It's exciting. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, you know, do we have to go? Go ahead, Tony. Go ahead. Uh, interesting. Just back to Helen real quick. So she's committed to, you know, John Morrison from – so she's – I assume she's at OK, OK State – um Oklahoma State if that's like where she's trained but Morrison is her coach now and they you know they well, really John's in DC oh okay oh so he went to I see so they're I see. yeah so, so, they're so John like, actually oh. was in DC he moved out there when I was still coaching in George Mason got it so she you think she's training in like Maryland where is she training do you know uh, I don't have a good answer to that, to be honest with you. I Obviously, feel like she's been all over the place, really. But I think she's she and she's committed to John. It's interesting, you know. So like uh, a a lot like he's the sole person in her corner. I mean, you always have a second coach, um, whether it's Terry or or whomever. Maybe it was Chun, I guess. Um, but it they were really locked in, like you know. Um, they were really focused, and so I think that's a good thing. I think that that speaks to her just being really keeping your focus and stuff like that, not not having a lot of different voices. I think is probably something that she likes, you know. Mm-hmm. I was listening to her. She was on the Bader FRL thing this morning, and um, I didn't get to listen to the whole thing, but listening to her talk about her return, like she really thought she was done, um, and her career was over. And the week before she wrestled Allie Reagan, she rolled her ankle in a high school, like she was wrestling a high schooler to practice, um, like a live match she did to, 
and she brought in a ref and put on the singlet and everything to to simulate it to get all her nerves and everything back again so she could feel it and she got demolished by a high school kid girl and rolled her ankle in the match and couldn't walk until that monday or tuesday wow wow and that was the week before she beat Allie reagan um and that blew my mind like she made that big of a jump and and obviously that's all mental yeah. Uh, you can't make that much of a physical jump in four days. So she made a jump from losing to a high school girl to beating world silver medalist Allie Reagan and then pinning um, Jenna Burkett twice. Yeah. Um, that's pretty crazy that she could yeah, do that. That's crazy. Yep. Power of the mind. Absolutely. And, uh, well... Olympics have been postponed. Olympic trials have been postponed. Hopefully we get Olympic trials soon to give us a feat, just some wrestling adrenaline and everything again. So hopefully we don't have to wait too long. But, I mean, the power of this virus is is pretty big. So, you know what, it's uh, I value health first and then uh, then we'll talk entertainment. But yeah, that is an interesting question. You know, Canada does their OTT in December, the December before the Olympics. It, it's I'm very curious to see if maybe maybe USA Wrestling decides to to bump it up. Um, I think they want to hold it after NCAA's because of the qualifier there and stuff like that. But um, so I doubt uh, they'll yeah. do that. But uh, I'm actually a fan of running team trials, Olympic team trials before the senior level competitions. Um, and, you know, I would love uh, that. Yeah. I'm sure the athletes would too. Well, um, you, you can tell they... what countries do that because the athletes who have like, if you, if you qualify the weight at this like Pan Am qualifier, um, you're going to the Olympics, you know, right. Versus somebody in your, from your country is going to the Olympics. Um, so, yeah, you can kind of tell the athletes that have already qualified most of the time because their celebration right. is, like, twice as enthusiastic. That is funny. I, I yeah. didn't really think about that, but I'm sure that's that's how it goes. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, thanks so much for coming on, guys. I'm, I'm really glad we got to do this, and, and hopefully we can do another one coming up here soon, possibly tomorrow is what we're looking at, talk NCA what-ifs. Um, and then I know Jude's got Joey McKenna, and who else does he have? He has Bryce Meredith coming on this week. And let's see. I think I'm going to do a, a, like a sh- show, not really a podcast, more of like a video thing on Iowa wrestling from 2016 to 2020, like all-star team with Ryan Warner and Dyson Gould tomorrow. So HMA's got some content pumping this week. We're all bored in quarantine. Nice. so. And you dropped one today, right? Right. We dropped – an interview with um, Jordan Cutler. Mason did an awesome job there. So, um, yeah, and we got that new fancy graphic my friend from church made. Uh, we're putting them on the front of the videos and stuff, so happy to do all that. And, yeah, hopefully we'll we'll get more content at y'all. It'll nice. be fun. Thanks, right. guys. Thank sure. you Sounds all. good. Thanks, fellas. Right. See you.